Merry Christmas. That's what I'm talking about. All right. Well, good. It is a Merry Christmas, and that's why we're here to celebrate. We're here to celebrate God becoming man. I got a question for you. What is the greatest present that you have gotten that still gives each year? So it's a gift that you've gotten in the past, but every year it seems to give and give and give. You guys, you guys got that in your mind? Give me some of those gifts. What's a gift that keeps on giving that you've gotten? Just yell them out. Yep, go. Just shout them out. All right, I, have, I didn't hear any of that. All right, so let me share you mine. I'm going to share you mine. This gift has been given for over 40 plus years. I got them back when I was a little shaver. I was about eight years old when I got my first one. 1979. What do you think it was? Star Wars figures. <laughs> Star Wars ships. This is the gift that has been given constantly. I enjoyed it in the late 70s, early 80s. Then my kids enjoyed it way back in the late 1900s, right? And many of your kids have enjoyed it as they visited our home in Life Group or some special event. I remember a couple years ago, Liam Volsky. He's playing down in our staircase, and he's got Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, and he's battling, and he's playing. He's like, I am your father. And Luke's like, no! You know, and I'm like, Yes! Disciple that ship in the way of Star Wars and not Star Trek. Amen. (laughs) Can anyone with me on that one? There we go. Amen. All right. Well, tonight, again, we focus, and not only us, I want you to just pause and think about this. The whole world is focusing right now on Jesus Christ. Think about that. Every tribe, every tongue, every nation is one day going to be in heaven. We're going to be celebrating this day. Pause the focus on the coming of Christ. God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. The incarnation. Jesus' first advent. That's why we're here. He is simply the greatest gift that keeps on giving. Not only year in and year out, but daily, hourly, and even by the minute and second. Jesus is the ultimate gift that keeps on getting Given. We're going to be in John 3.16 tonight. We've been walking through John chapter 1, but we're going to look at John 3.16 tonight. And these 24 words make up the greatest sentence ever penned in human history. We, we can spend the next 24 years unpacking these 24 words, but hopefully it will only be the next 24 minutes. Amen? Martin Luther said, John 3.16 is the Bible in miniature. It's the story of redemption from Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And tonight, we're going to unpack this verse. So will you please stand with me as we read John 3.16. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. You may be seated. Now, when you guys think of God, what are some of the first thoughts come to your mind? When you think of God and who He is, what comes to your mind? Well, one of the first things, one of the first characteristics that should come to your mind is that of love. God is the God of love. In fact, that's who He is. It says that God is love. He is by nature love. And here, John talking to Nicodemus 
He says, this is what you should think about. For God so loved the world. Now we know um, that love in the Bible is not merely sentimental and emotional feeling, but it's sacrificial. It comes with an action. So biblical love is sentimental and sacrificial. It's a love, as I would define it as this. It is a committed and costly affected affection proved through action. It is a committed and costly affection proved through action. Uh, over the years, uh, 20 plus years in ministry, my wife and I do a lot of premaritals and, and we get the spouses together and we have them go over 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the, the great verses on love. And for them to feel the weight of love and how it's more than just sentimental, but it's an action, it's something that you do. We take the word love and we have them insert their name. And so they feel the weight of the action of love. So when the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, it says, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, you put your name in there. Aaron is patient. And at that point, my wife just breaks out laughing, right? Because she's like, oh, that ain't happening. But you feel the weight. Aaron is kind. Aaron is not arrogant. And so when you put your name in there, you see that love is more than just some feeling that you can fall in and out of. No, it is a... It's an act of the will accompanied by emotion. But I want to focus on that little word, so. God so loved the world. John could could have wrote that God loves the world, but he had that little adverb, so. That little little word, so. That's a powerful little word. That little so brings an intensity to to God's love. It's a modifier. It's an amplifier. It takes that word love and it intensifies it like a a good seasoning on a good steak that brings out that flavor, right? It's like up here when you plug the guitar into an amp, it it, it makes the the sound fill the room. It, It amplifies it. And God so loved the world. God has an intense sacrificial affection for the world, for you and me. The word world here is not like the earth, planet earth. It's not about the philosophies of the world or the animal kingdom. The world here is defined as humanity, as men, women, children. God so loved humanity. An intensity to it. Now our, now our nature, tend, when we see the word love, we tend to pour our own meaning into that word love. And, and typically how we love is we see a, an object, a thing, a person, or an individual and we set our love on them because they're lovely, right? We think they're lovely. They have some worth. They have some value. Therefore, we give them our attention. We give them our love. Take my wife. I love my wife. Why? Because I think she's the sexiest thing on the planet, right? I love my wife. She's beautiful. She's kind. She's caring. She's a hard worker. So naturally, my love, I set my love on her because she's valuable to me. And you guys love the same way, right? Think about the things that you love in life. What do you love in life? You guys love those things because they're worth something to you. They have value to you, right? And so in, in a way, that's how we love, but that's not necessarily how God loves. God's love actually is not even the same ballpark when we begin with love. Because God's love doesn't depend on the object for him to love. God loves despite the worth or the value of the things that he sees. The reason why God loves is because he's love. It's who he is. It's like breathing for us. So he is a he is a lover. 
He's a lover. Now, I want you to this is this is so crucial for us to get when we see that God so loved the world. We have to take off kind of our American self-esteem kind of narcissistic glasses to feel the weight of God's love, to really understand God's love. We got to understand this point that God loves us not because of who we are, because he is love. You see, once he says once says John 316 says, for God so loved the world, we would say, of course, he loves the world. Why? Because we're lovable. Right. We, we see ourselves and we always we always look to someone that's maybe doing worse than us or or, you know, a little, you know, just a bad person. And we always we take our lives and we match them up to theirs. We're like, yeah, I'm not as bad as that person. So, of course, God loves me because I'm a I'm a good person. But that's not what the scripture says. Apart from Christ, listen to John three nineteen. He says, apart from Christ, you and I are not lovable. And this is the judgment that the light Jesus has come into the world and the people, the world, love the darkness rather than the light. Because their works are evil for everyone who does wicked things, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. This is every single one of us apart from Christ is we are not lovers of God, but we are haters of God. We are rebels of God. In fact, we want nothing to do with God. We want to be our own God. And yet, God says, I love you, Aaron. When I was in rebellion, when I was in sin, when I wanted nothing to do with him, he set his love on me. He sets his love on you. There's a weight, there's a magnitude of God's love that we do not understand until we come to Christ. This is the world, people that God loves, a people that reject him and rather pursue everything else but him. This is a massive love for God so loved the world. What does it do? What does his love prompt him to do? Prompts him to give. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So how does God show us that he loves us? Even in our rebellion, he gave us a son. He sent us Jesus to come live the perfect life in our place, to die on the cross for your sin and mine, to be raised and then back to heaven to rule and to reign. He shows his love by giving the delight of his heart, his son, to you and me. Now, I want to ask you a question. How do you know that God loves you? How how do you know that God loves you? How, How do you think about God with regards to his love in you? Unfortunately, a lot of people base their love on their performance, on their circumstances. And this is what I mean. You guys remember that game growing up when you were younger? The, you took a little flower. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. He loves me not. A lot of people, and particularly a lot of Christians, that's how they view if God loves them or not. They got this pedestal, and this flower, and he loves me. He loves me not. And it might go like this. Oh, I overcame that temptation. I didn't fall into that thing on the screen. He loves me. Oh, I looked at it. He loves me not. Oh, I showed patient with my spouse last night. Oh, he he loves me. Oh, I got angry with my spouse last night. He loves me not. Oh, I got that promotion at my job. He loves me. Oh, I didn't get that promotion. He loves me not. Can anyone else in here relate to that? 
Here's the good news. If you catch yourself thinking that this is the how God loves you, and you base your love on that, there's good news tonight, that's not how He bases His love. You are not on the performance treadmill for God's love. You are loved because God loves you. It's because it's in His nature. It's who He is. This is key. 1 John 4.10 says this, This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent or gave His Son to be the propitiation of our sin. This is how you and I know that God truly loves us because He sent us Jesus. He gave us the greatest gift that we could ever need, the gift of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. I love how one says it. He says it this way. God has given us a gorgeous creation to live in. Bodies and self-healing powers and minds that can figure things out. Relationships that make life rich and so on. But all these earthly gifts of God can come and go. If we base our confidence in God's love on our health or on our safety or any other gift tied to the moment, get this, we will never be sure of God's love. Therefore, God revealed His love with such finality that we can know for keeps that God so loved you that He gave His only Son for you. God did not loan His Son. He gave Him, and He gave Him up at the cross. This is our confidence in God's love. So what He has done for us, not what we do for Him. God's love, get this. God loved the world, so not only did He send us His Son, but He sent us His Son to be sacrificed for us. That's how much He loves us. I love what Augustine said. He said this, the cross is the pulpit that God preaches the love of God to the world. He's preaching it to you and me right now. So what is our response to this? Well, if you're in Christ, the response should be thankfulness, worship, joy, gratitude. Maybe summed up in these lyrics of this song. Your blood was washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Jesus, thank you. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. All of our sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future for those who trust in Jesus. Jesus truly is the gift that keeps on giving. That takes us to the second point. God's gift of love received by believing. The first point is God's gift of love revealed in Jesus. God's second is God's gift of love received by believing. For God so loved the world that He gave us His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Here is the purpose of God's sending us His Son, His love, that we would have life. And not just life, but eternal life. Verse 15 says that may have, we may have eternal life. Verse 16, that we would not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. That's why Jesus has come. To save you and me. To give us eternal life. This is the main purpose. This is a mission of his first advent to seek and save that which is lost, which is everyone in here apart from Christ. And so, how is life, how is eternal life secured? 
It's secured by God and His love and sending of His Son, Jesus. And Jesus living the perfect life in your place, in my place. Obeying fully the commandments of God. Not sinning once. Fully obeying Him. Then He went to the cross and made payment. A cross that we should have been up there dying on. He gave His life as our substitute to die. He was buried and He rose again. So that's how eternal life is secured. But the question for us is, how do we obtain it? How do we receive it? How do you as an individual obtain eternal life? It says right here, whoever what? Believes. Whoever believes. Whoever believes in Jesus. Whoever believes in the Gospel. Whoever repents of their sins and trusts in Christ's life, death, and resurrection. Whoever believes that shall receive eternal life. That word whoever in the original language, it means whoever. It means each, every, any, all, the whole, everybody. But you got to believe. You individually have to take a step of faith. Repent of your sin and trust in Him. And when you do that, you get eternal life. And guess this, eternal life is not just a quantity of days, but a quality of life. It's not just a quantity of days, but a quality of life here and now and forevermore. Jesus says that I've come to give life and life abundantly. You want abundant life? It's found in Christ. You want joy? You want peace? You want hope? You want security? It's found only in Jesus. All those other things outside, if you put your faith and hope in them, they will disappoint you. You already have tasted and seen and experienced that. But Jesus will never let you down. You must believe. You must believe. Now here's the thing about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. This is the weight and the power of it. You must believe in Jesus. Here's the weight and the power of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That if every individual on planet earth would repent and believe in Jesus, His life, death was sufficient to save everybody. Sufficient to save everybody. But it's only efficient to save those who believe. You have to believe in who Jesus is. And this belief is more than easy believism. There's three components of faith. You have to know the gospel. You have to affirm the gospel to be true. And then you have to believe it. It, 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 provi- it moves you to action. You have to know and understand the gospel. You have to know that you, apart from Christ, are a rebel, an enemy, a sinner. And the wages of sin is death. You have to understand that. And the only way that you can be forgiven is by placing your faith in Christ. You have to believe that that message is true. And then take that step of belief. So if you're in here right now, a group this size, I know there's people in here that do not know who Jesus is. Today is the day that this invitation goes out to you. That you can believe in Christ and what He has done for you. And you will receive the abundant life. You will receive eternal life by repenting of your sins and trusting in Him. It doesn't matter what you do. It matters what He has done. So the invitation to you is come and receive and believe in Jesus. Receive this gift. Well, again, this is going to be a quick sermon. Tonight we come face to face with the love of God. By looking at the gift of Jesus for eternal life.
We, we've already talked a little bit a couple ways about how to respond to this gift. One, thankfulness. Two, by believing. But let me give you two more. In particular, those who have taken that step of repentance and faith. Let me give you some, some suggestions, some Christmas gifts that you could give out tomorrow and this coming year. You see, when you and I repented and trusted in Christ, remember we talked about God's love in the beginning, that it doesn't matter about the object that is set upon the God is love, so therefore He loves. Now we possess that kind of love. Romans 5, 5 says that the love of God has been poured into your hearts and been poured into my hearts by the Holy Spirit. Now we can love as God loves. And so to your employer this year, give them hard work. To a customer, give them great service. To an enemy, give them love. To those caught in sin, give them a helping hand to get out of sin. To your friends, give them encouragement. To your parents, children, we have any children here? Children, to your parents, give them obedience and give them a thankfulness for what they have provided for you. To your children, parents, give them a godly example. Pray for them. To your siblings, to your brothers and sisters, give them grace. Wives, to your husbands, give them respect. Husbands, to your wives, give them sacrificial love. And to all those who don't know Jesus, give them Jesus, the greatest gift that will keep on giving. So those are Christmas gift suggestions that you and I can give tomorrow and throughout the next coming year. A second thing, and we'll close with this. This is my 52nd Christmas, if you guys can believe it. I know you guys only think it's like 40. All right, I get that. But I want you to be amazed and be astonished about what we are celebrating tonight. This is the greatest event to ever take place in the history of mankind. God becoming man. And in a couple months, we'll celebrate Easter. Now, to me, that's the second greatest day. But that day doesn't happen unless this day happens. As John Calvin said, that if this day didn't happen, we'd still be left in our sin. But because this day happened, we can now have eternal life. And so I want us to be amazed and be astonished that God became a baby in a manger. It says in Luke chapter 2, verse 13, it says when the babies were born, it says suddenly, it says suddenly, heaven opened up and there was a multitude of angels praising the Lord. I want you to think about that for a second. On this day in history, the plains of the Middle East, not Jerusalem area, the heavens were opened up and all of heaven showed up on Jesus' birth. If all of heaven shows up on Jesus' birth, I think that's a pretty big day, don't you? I think we should be astonished about that day. I think we should be amazed about that day. And I think it should cause our hearts to sing with awe 
We are. If all of heaven shows up and sings for joy, then we should always, always be in awe, be astonished when reading and hearing about the infinite becoming an infant. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the greatest sentence that You have ever penned. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Lord, it is my prayer. In fact, I've been praying this. I know many of us have been praying this for months. That everyone in this room, as they walk out those doors, that that would be a reality for them. That they would have experienced the love of God by repenting of their sins and trusting in Jesus Christ. That they would taste and see the graciousness and goodness, not only of their now new Savior, but also their Lord. And so Lord, those of us that have done that, Lord, let us be amazed tonight as we think and as we sing these final songs, as we open up those Christmas presents tonight or tomorrow morning, that we would be reminded of the greatest gift, Jesus Christ, the gift that keeps on giving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.